0: Been talking about, I hadn't taught on this guy for some time. In fact, I was looking at my notes. I like dating my notes. Not not like dating it, but I mean putting the date on my notes. And wow, it'd been over a decade since I talked about Jabez. And he came across my radar again because we were we were just sowing faith into you over the summer. And you can't help but read Jabez and just get faith sewed into you as you read his prayer and uh, what he brought before the Lord. And so uh, I thought it appropriate and timely to just hear that again. And so if you have your Bibles, open it up to 1 Chronicles chapter 4. We're in the middle of a genealogy, and there's all these folks in this genealogy. And if you've read through the Scripture before, you know on occasion, in fact, in a number of books, there are genealogies. And genealogies really don't speak much to me. I've never really had a word come out of a genealogy before, except to say that whenever I see them, I'm always reminded of at least this one point, and that is this, that God knows individuals by name. And that speaks to me, that he knows my name, and he knows your name, and he knew these folks by name. In fact, he wanted their names put in the record. And as you're reading through this particular genealogy, you get down to verse 9. We read this guy that really was sort of unknown until Bruce Wilkinson wrote a book under that same title, The Prayer of Jabez. It just sort of fits under there. And all of a sudden, the writer stops, and he wants to record the prayer that Jabez prayed. It was important under inspiration of the Holy Spirit for generations that will follow the writing of this, that they knew exactly what Jabez was asking God to do. And so we're going to read first Chronicles chapter four, beginning with verse nine. If you have the new King James version, when we get to verse 10, I want you to read that prayer with me. Now I'm going to be reading out of a new King James version. The reason I say that is because if that's not your version and we all start reading, it'll sound like the day of Pentecost. All right. So uh, if not you know, you can get the general idea. So verse nine, now Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. And his mother called his name Jabez saying, because I bore him in pain. And we mentioned last time that Jabez's entrance into the world was painful. Uh, Jabez did not come in with a silver spoon in his mouth. He didn't come in with all of the amenities. He wasn't born necessarily in the right household with the right last name and everything was just made available easily to him. It says that he came in pain. And then in verse 10, we read these words. And Jabez called on the God of Israel saying, and if you're ready, you can read with me. Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me and that you would keep me from evil, that I may not cause pain. So God granted him what he requested. You ought to copy that and just put it on your refrigerator. Did you have one? Other others of you, Andrea says she has one. Others of you have uh, other. You already have it. Well, that's a great prayer. Jabez Card, you got one. Yeah, all right. It's a great prayer, and uh, we're wanting to talk a little bit about it tonight. Now, I want to zero in especially on the one phrase that he says: "Enlarge my territory." One of his requests in his prayer was that his territory would be enlarged. His borders. Uh, would be enlarged. Now, borders are more than just the acquisition of real estate. I know, I know we all have borders, landlines, if we own a house uh, around our home. It may not have a fence on it, it may not be marked, but somewhere on a plat at the RMC office, there's, there's an official document that tells us that there are these boundaries and borders that signify what we own. And so whenever we hear border, at least that's what I think of. I, I think of geographical boundaries. I, I, I think of states. I think of nations. I think of all these sorts of things. But, but scripturally, when we talk about boundaries, we're talking about more uh, than just geographical acquisition. In fact, when we talk about expanding our boundaries, it's not just getting the lot next door. It's not just buying your ocean condo. It, it literally means a personal enlargement of your opportunities. When God enlarges you, he gives you more opportunities. When he enlarges you, he gives you more influence, more effectiveness. This is what Jabez was praying for. He wasn't just praying, God, give me more territory in the sense of I want land, although, although land would certainly signify influence. But within the prayer, uh, Jabez is asking for the chance to do something big for God. He's asking for the chance to go beyond what is normal for him beyond what maybe others have sketched out on a plat for his life, he's asking God, help me to break out of my boundaries, to break out of my borders. Help me to do something that I've never done before, something beyond myself. And uh, help me to make a mark for the kingdom. And so in order for that to happen, and as I was just meditating and thinking about this prayer again, I thought to myself, in order for boundaries to be expanded, how many of you know it's going to take a mind set? change. You know, it's amazing how most of our boundaries in life aren't set by geography. It's set by our brain. (laughs) We already have, we already have a boundary set up. You've all heard the illustration. I know you have about how, uh, the, the young elephant, when it's just newly born, uh, like a circus type elephant, they put a chain on it and, and hook him up to a post and he can only only stay a, a certain radius around that stump in the ground, and it can hold him there, that chain. It's like a, like a dog on a leash. But as that elephant gets older and as they put that chain on him, despite the fact that he gets stronger and he could easily pull that stump out of the ground, he never does it. Because it's been conditioned in his mind already that those are his boundaries, that chain. Even though he could break his chain and be loosed, it rarely happens because the conditioning that's taken place. I'm going to suggest to you that, that for some of us, we have chains on our lives that have so conditioned us to think a certain way, that this is our boundary. We can go no further. We can't conceive of anything beyond that. And not that you don't have the strength to break out. How many of you know, you can do all things right through Christ who strengthened you greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. There, there is nothing holding you back. God is limitless and his plan is limitless in you. But the only thing that limits you is the chains sometimes that have been constructed that keep us within these particular boundaries. And the enemy likes nothing better than to keep you in those boundaries because if he can keep you in the boundaries, then you can't take new territory, you know, for the kingdom of God. So, so something has to happen to us. Something has to catch hold inside of us that begins to say, I was born perhaps for something more than I'm living right now. I was born for something more than just maybe punching a time clock. And, and it's important to be faithful. And, you know, God gives us small things to be faithful in. That's a precept too. But, but as far as our praying and our believing, we got to believe that, that maybe, maybe there's more for us than we had originally conceived And the reason God wants to enlarge you is because he wants to take those new areas. He wants to take that new territory. He wants you to touch lives for him uh, as those boundaries are enlarged. I've met with businessmen before. You know, businessmen need to enlarge. If you have a business, I'm just going to challenge you. Think about how you can enlarge it. Now, why are you enlarging it? It's not just so you can make more money, but you're enlarging it to reach and to influence people for the kingdom. Whenever I think of just, I, I'm sorry, I, and, and they, they love me, I always think of Tim and Casey and Jeremiah Farms. I, I tell you why I think about that, because I know I think you guys started with like a goat, right? Like one goat. That's how it started. How many goats do you have now? 21 goats. And you're milking goats on John's Island. They're milking goats on John's Island. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. When I first heard about goat farming, I was thinking about, well, whatever you know floats. Floats your goat, I guess. I mean, I, don't, you know, I, mean, I just, you know, because you know, I mean, I grew up on a farm. I grew up with cattle. I didn't grow up with goats. So, I mean, I, so, you know, I'm out of the loop on this. But I can't help but think about how God enlarged their goats. And what's interesting is as God enlarges their goats, it's not just to supply them with money and, and for it to become a business and, and for it to prosper and all those things are perfectly legitimate. But they got people that come on their property now that want to know about kingdom things. Isn't that right? So God's enlarged you not just for the sake of goats. Yeah, okay, okay you're, you're, you're in my message now, so I, <laughs> OK, yes. Well, there you go. See, I didn't know that. See, that was the Lord right there. That's why I picked you guys out. You prayed the prayer of Jabez for one year. For two to twelve acres. God gave you a goat, and now you got what two dozen goats. And and look at that. And it's, and it's for kingdom purpose. Now, that, that God's not how many of you know God's not calling us all to goat farms? But he is calling all of us to reach and influence people for the kingdom of God. So it doesn't matter whether you're the butcher, the baker, or the candlestick maker. Doesn't matter where God's placed you right now. I don't know. I could go through the room, and however many people are here, there would probably... Be that wide and varied, you know, and, and establishment in, in business or, or what you do in life. And, and, he, and he's using that in order to expand his influence and reach people. I had mentioned, and I, I know I talked too long about it on Sunday about the ADF meeting I went to in California, but can I just share this with you? It was, it was encouraging and cool to listen to these lawyers come together to be taught listen to this, they weren't being taught to get out of the law field in order to go into the ministry. They were being taught that they were in the law field because that was their ministry and that their job was to go into courtrooms to defend churches and to press the claims of Christ in the court in order that it might be great, more greatly revealed in the earth. Now, I don't believe courts are what's going to establish the kingdom of God. Don't misunderstand me, but I do believe that lawyers in courtrooms help us in ways that, that maintain our freedom so that we can declare and do other works of the ministry. And it was just neat to look at media people who weren't there just to get rich or write their next book, but they were there because they believed God called them into that field. It was just, it was just great to be around business people. And they were there not to get out of business so they could go into the ministry, but their business was their ministry. And they saw it in kingdom terms. And it was all for global glory. And I thought to myself, that was just really refreshing and and neat to see. And I'm not saying that God won't or isn't calling some of you into the ministry, but I am here to say that wherever you are right now, that's a ministry that God's wanting to use in order to expand you and to expand his kingdom. So what do you believe in God for by way of expansion? I believe it's time to put our prayers into action and move the borders of our influence to do what the prices did to begin to pray with faith, the prayer of Jabez and believe that God is going to give us new territory. I've often said, this was my personal joke for years. Some of you have heard this um, because I've had people oftentimes they will come up to me and they'll go, pastor, pastor, pastor. Oh, you ought to, you ought to get back on the radio. You ought to be on TV. You ought to do this. You ought to do that. And my joke was, why would I expand my pool of criticism? Why would I want to do that? Because if you live in a fishbowl, it's not fun. You just ask some people that made it to YouTube, and all of a sudden they're on YouTube, just this obscure unknown person, and all of a sudden, boom! Everybody knows who they are. They've had five million hits, and so uh, for years I just said to myself, "I don't know. You know, I'm not going to do that. I don't want. You know, I don't want websites created for my demise and all those kind of things." But you know what? Here's the deal. Listen to the deal. I was wrong. Not not just in that area. we have got to expand the borders and boundaries of our influence. We need to risk the impact. And as opportunities open for you, for me, for all of us, God resources those opportunities. So I think instead of ducking and running influence, I think it's time to run to it. I think it's time to demonstrate to the world that their heroes are not superstar athletes. I'll say that again. Our heroes are not superstar athletes. That's not our heroes. Our heroes are not the celebrities. Our heroes are not politicians. Our heroes are people who lay their lives down for the cause of the kingdom and for things greater than themselves. These are our heroes. Ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And, and the world's got to begin to see that. Uh, and, and they aren't right now. They're, they're emulating everybody that, that is leading them in paths of destruction. And they need to see people who are on target and uh, love God and are doing things that are selfless, not selfish. So, I want to give you five things real quick. You may want to write these down. Five things that God will require to expand your influence. Five things God will require if you want your influence expanded. Are you ready? Number one, humility. Humility. It's been a long time since I looked up in the original language the word for humility. It is such a long word. It's a fascinating thing. It's this long word. I can't even pronounce it. I mean, it was like you you, you get tongue tied. It was just this long word. And I also found out that it was rarely used in uh Greek culture. And the reason it was rarely used is because that virtue was rarely considered in that culture. They they venerated as well athletes and academicians and politicians. And these sorts of things, there was no sense of humility in uh, the first century culture, but our Lord tells us, and the scripture tells us that it's humility that begins to expand influence. James four, verse 10 says this, it says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And what he will humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Absolutely. First Peter, uh, 5, 6 says something very, very similar. 1 Peter 5, 6. I'm making sure I don't have my screen going tonight. It says, uh, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submitted to one another and be clothed with humility. Uh, For God uh, resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may, what? exalt you in due season. The reason the church and the people of God are not being exalted is because we have lost a sense of humility. We're not not about being humble. We're about usually self-promotion. And as I was thinking about that, I thought about how the ways of the kingdom are paradoxical in nature. You, You know what that means when I say it's paradoxical in nature, that the kingdom works exactly the opposite way of the world, but yet it will grant you the very things that the world really is seeking for and wanting. It says, if you'll seek the kingdom first in his righteousness, he will what add all these other things unto you. So it says, if you'll seek his kingdom in his righteousness, he'll add to you the very things that everybody's chasing after as number one on their priority scale. And it's a paradoxical kingdom. I just started thinking about that. This is what Jesus says. Jesus says the first will be and the last will be. He says that if you'll uh, lose your life, you save it, you gain it. But if you try to somehow uh, uh, keep your life, you'll, you'll lose it. All through the scripture. It says that if you'll go to the back of the line, you'll be brought to the front of the line. But if you try to get to the front table, they'll tell you to go to the back table. All through Scripture, it's this upside-down paradoxical kingdom. And that's why when you exercise humility, now again, no one says you have to be a doormat, but I'm just telling you if you will exercise humility, God can tap that and take you to the top. I always like Luther's definition. He said that humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's not thinking of yourself at all. That's humility. Number two. Five things God will require to expand our influence. Consistency. Consistency. I call consistency the anti-hypocrisy pill. People are looking for consistency. Are you the same at church as you are anywhere else? This is just how the Lord has done it for me through the years. Whenever I go out of town... Because there's sort of this rule, I, don't, I, I joke about this, this rule, that when, you know all the rules are suspended when you cross the state line. You would be amazed at how many people think that. Well, I'm out of town, so therefore I can do this or that or the other. And so um, this is just what the Lord has done through the years with me. I can go out of town sometime. If I get out of town sometime, I will run into somebody I know I was in, no no joke, I was in Moscow, Russia for the first time in my life. I'll never forget, it was in 1992. I was at the Ismalova Hotel. And I'm going down through the lobby of the Ismalova Hotel in Moscow, Russia, 1992. And I run into somebody I know. Now, some of us would go, isn't that a weird coincidence? No, it's not. That's God saying to you, I know where you are. I can find you. I tell the story about one time how the, uh, the church staff. This was years ago. The church staff got out of town. We all went to Gatlinburg at a hotel and had a staff retreat. And so we were all gathering up and going downstairs to eat breakfast together. We got into the hotel room, that, uh, got into the elevator. Excuse me to go down to the to the breakfast area. And right next to the elevator door was a hotel room. And as the whole staff is standing there, that hotel door opens up, and two of our singles walk out of that hotel room. How many of you know God was trying to speak to him that day? They they had a Kodak moment from the whole church staff. We never saw them again at church, by the way. That was. But you see, but you see, they they'd left South Carolina and they were in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. And the rules change when you cross state line. See, God won't exalt hypocrisy. He wants consistency, consistency. We have no influence because can I just share this? The world is not nearly as stupid as we think they are. I'm being very careful about naming names anymore because I really, I, I'm, I'm trying to do right before the Lord. But, you know, when there are two notable national ministries, uh, people, uh, a man and a woman, not married to one another, and, and they're out of town and they're in some European city and they're photographed holding hands and it hits the tabloids, and the world goes, See, you, you, you all are no better than us. And that's that's what they think all of us are. And and we're going to have to begin to leaven that silliness with our own lives. People ask me, I say, that may be them. That's not me. That's not us. We've got to leaven that with our own consistency. All right, Humility, consistency, number three. What will God require to expand? Influence, responsibility. If God gives you influence, will you be responsible with it? It's interesting that the minute uh, college athletes get into the pro arena with sports and they begin to make all their money and their fame, you know what happens? They get money and they get a brain cramp. They get influence and they just, they, they just lose their minds. I mean, I can just say the name Tiger. Come on, Tiger. You had such influence. He was leading a generation of young black men into a sport that had not been cracked by that by that generation man he, he could have done incredible things with that influence and he crashes john john daly was another one john daly i just cuz i like pro golf john daly is another one the guy was an incredible golfer but he didn't know he didn't know how to throttle it down and so you know he'd go and and play his round and he'd shoot pretty good golf but he'd party all night long and he'd be drunk and a womanizer and he never he never reached the place he could have reached why it's because he wasn't responsible with god with what he was is god given talents and influence we've got to be responsible if if god were to dump a million dollars on you what would you do with it would you would you just would you just i've watched people get money and then they've Their whole life they were just saying, God, if you'll give me, if you'll give prosper me, I will, I will serve you. No, no, they won't. He prospered you and we never saw you again because you're too busy going to your four or five different houses that you bought. Are we going to be responsible with these things? I still like Rick Warren. Say what you want about Rick Warren, but he made a gajillion dollars with that little book, The Purpose Driven Life, and it was amazing. You know what he did? He didn't he didn't lose his mind. He didn't go out and buy an island. And, and get four yachts. He, he, set up, he set up these charities that would battle global sicknesses and poverty. And still drives an old beat-up car. I, I, I admire him for it. And uh, I think he's a model that some of us need to look at, that when God blesses us in certain ways, we have the ability to bless others. i got to go on. Number four, humility, consistency, responsibility, accountability. Five things God will require to expand influence. Accountability. Whenever you receive more opportunity, whenever you get more visibility, it will demand more accountability. Have you ever thought about how Jesus treated his disciples? I mean, really thought about it? Because most of us uh, think that you know, following Jesus would probably be just, you know, the, the greatest thing in the world. And, and, uh, Jesus would be perfect, you know, because, you know, pastors, they aren't perfect, but Jesus, he'd be perfect. Do you know that, that Jesus, this is interesting. He gave them, he gave his disciples power. He gave them authority. He gave them the ability to do incredible things. And then you know what he made him do when they came back, he made them give reports. And then after he, he received a report on one occasion, because I think it was Peter, uh, came back and, and gave this great report of how the demons, they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. I mean, they just came back with a great report. We are casting out demons. It was amazing. We had demons flying everywhere. They were bouncing off the wall. It was cool. We, we, we were casting out devils. And you know what, Jesus, Jesus doesn't go cool. Jesus goes, Don't rejoice over that, but rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. That's like that's like, like he was like a wet blanket. It's like, I mean, can you imagine? say, don't rejoice about that. Or how'd you like to be Peter as he's giving the Lord his wisdom and, and, and the Lord goes, Get behind me, Satan. That wasn't like his pet name, you know. It was. He rebuked them. He's sitting at dinner with them, the last time he'll ever see them. And he looks at the table and he goes, you're going to deny me. You're going to betray me. And the rest of you are going to scatter. But I love you. <laughs> I always like those folks that always say, I don't serve anybody but Jesus. You wouldn't have handled Jesus. You couldn't have handled him. Could you really do that? If you want to change the world, you will. Uh, my, my, my favorite parable is Luke 19. Luke 19. It's the parable of the minas. I can't read to you the whole thing. You know the parable of the minas. It's a lot like the parable of the talents. You know how the servant comes along and he, excuse me, a master comes along and he gives these servants, 10 of his servants, 10 minas. He gives them each one mina. Then he looks at him and he says, I want you to do business with this until I come back. And uh, so they did that. They worked... They worked business. And he came to the first one, and, and the master asked him what he did with his one mina. And he says, Master, I turned it into ten minas. He had a tenfold return on this investment. And it says here, it's interesting what the master says. He said to him, Well done, good servant, because you were faithful in a very little, have authority over ten cities. Isn't that interesting? They were given something. They were faithful with it. The master comes back and holds them accountable. And out of that accountability with that mina, he gives, what does he do? He expands their territory or he expands their borders and he gives them cities. Now that's the power of accountability. You know, my joke is, 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 for some people, if the master would have come back and said, what did you do with my mina? Their response would be, what mina? What mina? accountability. Accountability can get you into destiny. And then lastly, number five, integrity. So there's humility, consistency, responsibility, accountability, and now number five, integrity. Five things God will require to expand influence. The word actually integrity is derived from a Hebrew word, which means wholeness, wholeness. If you, if you, if you want to understand integrity, integrity, an integral person has a life that's whole. They've not compartmentalized their life, in other words. In other words, it's not like, you know, this is how they are at church, but this is how they are at work. It's not like this is how they are in front of their friends, but this is how they are with everyone else. Their life is not compartmentalized. Integrity means there's a wholeness. It's it's what you say matches with how you live. That's integrity. There's a couple of great passages here in Psalm uh, 4112. You want to write this down. Psalm forty one, twelve. It says, as for me, speaking to the Lord, you uphold me in my integrity and set me before your face forever. God upholds the integral. He lifts them up and he upholds them. So integrity is going to be a vital aspect of expanding your influence. In the book of Job, it's interesting because as you know, Job, he lost everything. And even after losing everything, it says in Job two, verse three, that despite all of this, he held his integrity. In other words, he didn't curse God. He didn't, he didn't throw in the towel. Uh, He didn't do the things that most people would have done had they uh, been gripped with such a terrible happening in their life. It says that he upheld his integrity In Job 31, verse 6, towards the end here, there's another interesting passage. It says this. It says, let me be weighed on honest scales that God may know my integrity. So integrity is when you have no control of what's going on in your life. And again, through the years, I have just watched this. I've watched people who, who they'll do pretty good walking with the Lord. And as long as everything's smooth and everything's in order and everything's going their way and there's no challenges, there's no problems, there's nothing to to, to you know, battle with them or harm them, they're pretty good. But the minute some challenge comes their way, they're gone. And the Word says, I'll be weighed on honest scales that God may know my integrity. God is looking for those who will walk with him when times are good and they'll walk with him when times are challenging. When Paul said, I know how to abound and I know how to be abased, what he was saying was, it doesn't matter if I have enough or I don't have enough. God's going to find me to be integral. Whether he finds me in a, a great cathedral preaching the gospel or he finds me in a mall, I'll be preaching the gospel. That's See, that's integrity. So whether you're a CEO of a giant corporation or whether you're the custodian of, of of just a mom and pop business. The, the key is, will you be integral? Because if you're integral, God will note that. Please remember David. David, David was anointed king over Israel, not when he was doing big and major things, it's when he was watching his dad's sheep in a sheep field. That's when the prophet shows up. And he wasn't even there. The prophets, prophets looking at all the brothers, looking at the whole family, finally gets down to Jesse and says, Jesse. There's got to be another boy you have around here because God told me to come here to anoint the king, but it's none of these guys. They're all sharp. They all look good. They clean up nice, wearing good clothes, but these aren't the ones. And Jesse says, well, I have another one watching sheep out there. Samuel says, bring him in. That was David. Just being faithful. Just being consistent. Just being responsible. Just doing what his dad asked him. Just being with the sheep. How many of you know if he had heard that the prophet was coming, how badly he might have wanted to be in that line, how badly he wouldn't, may have wanted to, to shift his rotation of, of, of sheep watching. But there he was, and I'm here to tell you that no matter where you're at, no matter what your position is in life, no matter how you feel, if you're doing it God's way, he can step into the most remote location and he can tap you and say you're the one. You are the one. And if you get that in your spirit, that's a very freeing thing. A number of years ago, a contractor a contractor beat me out of about $5,000. How many of you know that'll aggravate you? That'll aggravate you. Ran into him just the other day, by the way. How many of you know how many tests were coming towards me at that moment? It was it was like I was getting every exam imaginable just coming right to me. Now let's just add on top of it, when I met him, it was like everything was fine. Internally I'm going, it ain't fine. There's about $5,000 worth of not fine. But what do you do? You forgive. You hold no obligation. You lose him. And he, and he goes his way. But listen to me. I want to say this well. His integrity is forever gone. I wonder, I wonder if you put it in those terms if i wonder if $5000 is really what selling your integrity is worth I wonder if that's what it's worth i don't think so but i want to encourage you we can't change the past we can't rearrange what's been done we got to play the hand that's dealt we got to start today, but here's the deal. If we'll practice humility, consistency, responsibility, accountability, and integrity, I believe God will expand our borders. I believe he'll expand your borders. And that's what we want to pray about before we go tonight. So stand with me.